It's always great to be here at Traveler's Rest at Upcountry Church. Uh, I can remember coming when you guys were a lot smaller. And, uh, you know, it's been great to see you grow throughout the years. And uh, it's been wonderful to grow in relationship with Rob. I remember uh, years ago, it was probably, how, long, how old is the church? Eight, nine years. So this would have been like, I don't know, maybe seven or eight years ago. I was in a gathering of pastors and somebody mentioned we had, there was a new church in Traveler's Rest. Forgive me. My first thought was, we're planting a church in Traveler's Rest? You know, I was like, why? And I didn't know, of course, the transformation that was happening up here. And then somebody said, they got a really sharp young pastor. And um, I was like, okay, you know, and I, and then I met Rob, you know, the first time and uh, our, you know, sometimes you meet somebody and you just kind of click. And when that happens, especially when you're older, especially if you're male, that's a real gift from God. Because that doesn't happen a lot that we make friendships later in our lives. And, you know, the, the people that I call friends, I, I, I hope I'm friendly with everybody, but I hold that word friend pretty tightly. And, um, and so, Rob, I, that is a mutual relationship. And so I, I do find that title uh, a good one. Uh, I will be honest and tell you the two titles that are most important to me are husband and father. Um, I love my wife dearly. I just, 24 hours ago, I was in Mexico City. Um, and so, and no, I was not there for missions. I was there for a vacation. And I walked around the streets of Mexico City with my wife holding her hand more in the last five days than probably in the last five years. Uh, and just had a wonderful time being with her and enjoying her company. And uh, this is what she she doesn't look like she's more pretty today than she was then. Uh, and uh, she's an amazing lady. Um, this kind of shows you how long we've been doing missions. Um, this actually wasn't even our first prayer card. The first one, we didn't have any children. And um, now we have four. Um, none of you who have known us that long, but if you knew our story, you'd know that before we had any children, we had three miscarriages. And we had actually, were starting to, look into adoption, not because we've always admired adoption and think it says so much about our relationship with God. It's one of the most wonderful things that there is, I think. But we were looking into it because we didn't look like we weren't going to be able to have children naturally. And um, we went to an event where there were a bunch of women gathered and I was the speaker. I don't know why. Um, you know, I was the run rose amongst thorns. Um, and... Uh, but uh, I spoke, and then Amy came up and spoke. She, Amy hates public speaking. Now, it's amazing because she actually leads our organization. I, I shouldn't say she hates public speaking. She hates being like in a church behind a pulpit. I don't know. There's something. She just does not feel like a preacher. And so there's, but, but if, I mean, she addresses people from all over the world in very heavy topics. She actually leads 
our organization's efforts for security training and preparedness and crisis response. So 2,800 missionaries around the world, if one of them got kidnapped and had one phone call to make, they know the number they're supposed to call, it's my wife's phone number. So that, I mean, she's a pretty, you know, she, she knows what she's doing kind of person. Uh, but anyway, she spoke at this thing and for a few minutes, and she talked about, you know, the not being able to have children, and that at that point we had had the three miscarriages. And at the end of that gathering, these ladies said, you know, we're going to pray for your ministry, but we also want to just gather around you and pray that God will give you the desires of your hearts as it relates to children. And, um, and I, eight months and probably two weeks later, we had a baby because she showed up two weeks early. You know, so um, they prayed and I did my part. And, um, you know, um, sorry, that's too much information for you. Uh, but we just, and then we kept having children. They kept praying and, you know, finally I was like, hey, you're not getting the message. Stop praying, you know. And, and uh, we've just enjoyed, we raised four children in a Middle Eastern context. Our four kids, um, you see them here, they're all grown now um, and mostly gone. Um, COVID, of course, affected that for everybody, but uh, we have our daughter on the far right. Her name is Nur, which is the Arabic word for light. Jesus is referred to as Nur al-Alam, the light of the world in Arabic. Um, she's named after Queen Nur, if any of you who are old enough to remember King Hussein of Jordan, his wife was Queen Nur, and that's who she's named after, and then the, the meaning of the word. She teaches in Alexandria, Egypt at the American school there, and uh, has a great uh, opportunity to impact young kids. All of her children, all of her students are Muslims, and so she gets to be an example for them and to talk to them, and particularly to their parents, about things that are important. Our son on the far left is our oldest. He's, his name is Habib, which means the one I love. Uh, I do love all of my children, um, just not the others as much. Uh, uh, but. He's a, he's a phenomenal young man. He's way smarter than I am. Um, and he's freakishly talented. Um, he, he, is, he showed me recently how much he is growing in maturity. He is married, and that's his wife next to him. And uh, he showed me how mature he's becoming because he's, years ago, he, first he wanted to be a musician. And nothing wrong with being a musician, but he, at one point he realized, you know, I'm probably not going to be able to make any money as a musician. So then he wanted to be, he found the one thing he wanted to do that had less job security than a musician. He wanted to be a poet, you know, and I'm like, dear Jesus, you know, help us, you know. And I mean, I want to, I want to support my children in their dreams, but I don't want them living with me for the rest of their lives, you know. So, um, but yes, the last week or I think it was two weeks ago, maybe, he said, you know, I, I really, my heart still is wanting to be a poet. He said, but I also realize I have to pay the bills. And I'm like, wow, you know, he's really maturing, you know, but he's still giving his heart 100% to the creative arts field. And I'm we're very proud of him and who God has made him to be and being that. Then our son next to him is Nabil. He's our middle child. Uh, he's the one sports fan in the whole family. So he's the only kid I could ever talk to about football. Um, and so we, he's, he's a great kid. He just moved to Laramie, Wyoming. Uh, and you ask why? So did we. Um, we still don't really know the answer. Um, he's a typical missionary kid. You know, he's kind of got that wanderlust of having lived. He's a citizen of the world. 
And so um, he has some friends there and he's working remotely, you know, so he can do, he can live anywhere. And so for him, it's about relationships. He wants to be where he has friends. And so living in Laramie, uh, at least right now, he has not experienced a Laramie winter yet. So he may be back in Missouri next year, but we're, we'll, he'll see. Uh, by the way, his name, Nabil, means noble, a person of noble character. And then our youngest is the one between me and his sister. That's our young, his name is Imad. Uh, Imad has the most, it's in Arabic, it's the hardest word to, it's the easiest, it's easy to explain, but it doesn't sound like something we would name a child. Uh, in Arabic, it literally means a pillar of support. Like if you think of, if you've ever seen like a documentary of Bedouins moving around in the desert, they, they have these big tents that are made out of goat hair. In every one of them, there's a big column that's right in the middle of the tent that everything kind of rests on and goes out from that. That column is called the Amad. It's that which gives support to everything else. And so it's a very strong name in Arabic, uh, but very poetic. And um, we are praying that he will grow into the meaning of that name. And the reason I say that is because right now, he's, though in many ways very, very mature, uh, he's very, very far away from Jesus. And so we do ask that if you think about the Renfro family, you can always pray for our ministry, but we'd even be especially honored if you'd pray for our son. And I do want to remind you, and just kind of sometimes this sticks at people, um, to pray twice a day. You know, I, 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 I pray over my meals. I don't pray for my food. You know, I pray give thanks for my food that God has given to me, but, but uh, I try to pray throughout the day, but I pray specifically at two times of the day. At 10.02 every day, my phone goes off, gives me an alarm. It did this morning while we were preaching, and we stopped, and we prayed. At 10.02, it's based on Luke chapter 10, verse 2, where Jesus said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into his harvest fields. We're going to discover today there's still places and peoples where Jesus has yet to be glorified. And so it is through the preaching of the gospel that people become Christ followers and we need people who will go out and proclaim. And so I pray every day at 10.02, stop and pray for places and peoples where Jesus is not yet known. And then at 4.06 p.m. every day, uh, my phone goes off again and that's based on Malachi chapter 4 verse 6 where... The prophet talks about a day coming when the hearts of the fathers will be turned to the sons and the sons to the fathers. And that's when I pray, stop and pray for prodigals. Children who have wandered away from their heavenly father. Praying that they would, be, they would come back to him. And that started in my own just reminder of a time to pray for my child. Um, and that has grown and now I pray for a bunch of prodigals and I'm thankful that some other people have picked up on this. And so if you have a prodigal, uh, one, I understand your pain. And then two, maybe you'd like to join me at 4.06 every day, wherever, whatever time zone you happen to be in, that God would join our prayers together to draw his wayward children back to himself. I want to talk to you today about the power of mission. I went through this time this morning of introducing my family to you, not because I am, just because I am proud of them. I am. I love them. I'm 
unapologetic about that. As I mentioned, father and husband, those are the two most important titles to me. And I, those aren't, that's not just something I say. I think I've lived that out every day of my life, since I got married at least. You know, I found out a long time ago, I, I, I got married because I wanted to be happy. God let me get married because he wanted to make me holy. You know, I, I found out exactly how selfish I was once I got married. And then I thought I had grown and I had become a little bit more mature and then I had children and then I really realized how selfish I was, you know. And, and then nothing drives me crazier than when I see one of my weaknesses lived out in the life of one of my children. You know, I'm like, oh God, I know exactly where they got that from, <laughs> their mother. Um, you know, and um, no, that's never happened in our family. Um, and, you know, I, but I, I go through taking the time to introduce my family to you, not because, just as I said, because I'm proud of them, but because I want you to understand how incredibly ordinary I am. You know, Rob said some nice things about me this morning, but the truth is, I know who I am. You know, I know the man that looks back at me at the mirror every single morning. I know that I am more in need of God's grace today than I have ever been. It doesn't mean that I sin more than I ever have. It means that I know more my brokenness today than I ever have. You know, the more you know the real thing, the more you understand you aren't it. So the closer I get to Jesus, one, his magnetism, his love, his grace pulls me in. And the more he pulls me in, my sin nature just says, I want to keep him at arm's length. Because I know my own brokenness and I'm so thankful that in his grace, he doesn't let me keep him at arm's length. He pulls me in. I'm so very, very grateful for that. I've lived my life as a missionary as an incredibly ordinary person. You know, tonight we're going to get the C3 meeting. I'm going to share a little bit about this. But, you know, just to tell you how ordinary I am, I never read a book from cover to cover until after I graduated from high school. You know, when God saved my soul, he also saved my mind. I mean, I, I know how ordinary I am. And my point is, is that if God can use me, there's not a person in this room God can't use. That if God speaks, now all of us are called to ministry, but some of us are called into ministry. God wants to do some things in some of our lives that will require all of our attention. We're going to talk today about the fact that there's places and peoples, as I mentioned, that Jesus is yet to be glorified. And, you know, I love the fact that there are places in the world that you can get on a plane and you can fly to and you can get off and you can interact with local Christians and you can do a 10-day missions trip. Man, I love it that those places exist, but we don't need that in the Muslim world. You aren't going to accomplish diddly squat in 10 days in the Muslim world. We need people who won't go. We need people who will stay. People who will answer the Great Commission and say, I'm not going to give my vacation to mission, I'm going to give my vocation to mission. That Jesus' glory amongst the unreached is actually something worthy of my life. My very first missions trip I ever went on was when I got on a plane and I moved to Egypt. 
Now, am I saying that missions trips aren't valuable? Of course not. But I didn't need an experience to validate a call. God's word and being on my knees in prayer was enough for that. God helped me understand as I started learning about the world that it wasn't closed doors that God was concerned with, it was closed hearts. That God couldn't get, if he could open my heart, he could open a door. But it didn't matter if he opened doors amongst the unreached if there weren't people ready to respond in obedience and go. So that's why Pastor Rob has someone like me come. It's not because I'm a great preacher. It's like I know one thing. I know how to burn with passion for the people and the places that God has yet to see His glory revealed. It's what I've given my adult life to, and I think it's worthy of some of you having your life turned upside down so that you might be re redirected, especially if you're younger. Why do I say that? Well, because language is a young man's game. I mean, if you've ever tried to learn a foreign language, it's hard. You know, if you've ever tried to learn Arabic, it's really hard. You know, I, I sat on an airplane one time and I'm, I was early on in my Arabic studies and I was trying to, you know, you, you know, you just as a, you have to bury your pride and just talk and you're going to make mistakes and, you know, you just, you accept that from the very beginning. And I'm trying to lead, have a spiritual conversation with a man on an airplane and I actually told a Muslim man he needed to invite Jesus into his dog. He, fortunately, his Arabic, his English was better than my Arabic, and he looked at me and he said, I don't know a lot about Christianity, but I'm pretty sure you did not mean that. You know, uh, the word for dog and the word for heart were very, very similar, and I just got them wrong. Had to swallow my own pride. You know, I got to see my children grow up learning language. I got to see my children grow up in a tension between, you know, what does it mean to be a kingdom person in a very dark Muslim society and help them try to grow in that. As a parent, I understand the desire to have my children in a very secluded, cloistered, safe environment. I get that. I also understand that it's the darkness that needs the light. The light doesn't need the light. So we raised four kids there. We saw their lives transformed. Even our youngest, who's so far away from Jesus, doesn't attribute that at all to having grown up as a missionary kid. He wouldn't take anything for his experience as a missionary kid. He loved that. But I want this morning, as we just take the next few minutes and the first part of this was longer than the second part. I just want to walk through really quickly this passage that we know is the Great Commission. You read it on that printer illustration of the multiplication factor taking place. We are called to make disciples. So when we look at the Great Commission, it starts off with the multiplying power of presence. 
Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. That's what the King James says. In the NIV, it says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. If you go to that next slide. There you go. This is Jesus telling us he will be with us always. Now, his presence is with all of us all the time. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere always. But it's interesting here, he's not talking about the presence of God being everywhere all the time. He is making a direct link between his presence and his disciples going. They were all Jews from Israel, most of them from Galilee. Their understanding was this was the land. This is where God has called our ancestors from. Abraham brought out of modern-day Iraq, the land of Mesopotamia. He's brought us here. He's given us this land. This is our haven. That's the, that's the mentality of that first century group that Jesus is talking to. And Jesus says to them, it's not about here. It's about there. It's not about us. It's about them. He says, I want you to actually leave here. This is good, but that is what this exists for. You know, some say that the one unique thing about the church is it's the only organization in the world that exists for those outside of it. That Jesus says that when you go in a very special way, my presence goes with you. I go with you everywhere. Some of you have heard the name David Livingston. He was a long dead, 1800s missionary uh, explorer to the African continent. Uh, traveled around Africa way before it was explored. Found the source of the, it was part of the, ex, ex, the exploratory group that found the source of the Nile. And just traveled all over Africa and uh, died in Africa, they identified his body, one, because he had a really bad wound on his shoulder where he'd been bitten by a lion. Uh, they, they knew this was David Livingston's body. The British came to pick him up, took him back. There was a dispute before they took him for his body, and the Africans all said to them, to the British overlords, they said, you can have his body, but we are keeping his heart. They said, because though you may have his body, we all know his heart always belonged to Africa. The truth is, both of them were wrong. His heart belonged to God. It was his heart for God that had led him to Africa. It's our heart for God that motivates us, but we are motivated by God's love for us. It's his presence in our lives that when we go out, God goes with us. God will never call us away from his presence, even when we go to the darkest places. I can remember being in parts of the Muslim world where somebody would come up to me and they would say, that place is incredibly dark. That part of town is particularly dark. And it was always said sort of in a, that's where you want to avoid. And I was like, isn't that where the light is most needed? that we must stop simply seeking to be encouraged and we must start showing courage. 
that with the presence and the power of the Spirit comes a courage to go forth in God's name to do God's work where God leads. Not only is there the power of his presence, but there is power in proclamation. We live in a world today that as Christ followers would love to put a mute on our mouth. That to turn faith into something that is purely private. Our faith should not be private. Our faith should be public. Here's the problem. There's two big issues here. One, we muddle a lot of other stuff with the gospel. And I'm your guest. I never want to violate your pastor's anything. But I would be dishonest to say anything less than... We, we confuse a lot of things with, with the gospel. We add a lot of our opinions... To the gospel. And by doing so, it's not the gospel that's offensive, it's us. We need to mine down in Scripture and understand what is the gospel. The gospel is pure and simple. Jesus Christ, sent by the Father, died on the cross, raised from the dead for the reconciliation of all peoples back to himself. That's what the heart of the gospel is. Now, does my, gospel, my understanding of the gospel influence the way I think about other issues? Yes, but don't try to clean fish that aren't in the boat yet. We try to clean the fish instead of catching the fish. We catch the fish, let's let God do the cleaning. Now he'll help, he'll let us get involved in that process. All right, I'm going to skip on. So one, let's make sure it's the gospel that's being offensive and not us. You know, I can have almost any conversation with a friend. But not every conversation is meant to be had with somebody that I'm not in a relationship with. And that's incredibly and increasingly more important as our society becomes, has less respect for the Christian message. Now, we can spend our time bemoaning the fact of that America has moved away from its Christian origins, doesn't matter. This is the society we have today. What we had when my parents were growing up is irrelevant. This is what I have to do ministry in today. And so it's in this context that I want to make sure that I am being effective. I want to be able to speak with clarity. I want to be able to speak in a way that people understand what's important. I want to, I want to speak in a way that draws people to themselves. Not to me, but to Jesus. There is power in that proclamation. It's through the preaching of the word, the Apostle Paul would say, that people are saved. There is power in proclamation. Now, I understand that for most of you, when, when you hear the word preaching, 
you probably think of what's happening up here today or what happens here on a regular basis. That, you know, I, I get through Facebook, I get to actually watch Pastor Rob occasionally speak, and that's, I enjoy that. And, you know, he's a good preacher. But the truth is, most of this that we're doing, this is about inspiration. The conversations that you have over tables with people that you are seeing come to faith in Christ and grow in relationship with Jesus, that's about transformation. Both are important. But the truth is, you have more, out, you have more reach than Pastor Rob will ever have. That's why Paul said that God gave us pastors so that you... Could do ministry. Every person in this room, God has called to ministry. There are people in your lives that only you can reach. And forgive me, but we need to stop focusing on the low-hanging spiritual fruit. You know, we need to stop trying to get somebody to go from one church to another church. We need to look for the people who are lost. Deeply, deeply, deeply lost. How many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you have a relationship with somebody in the LBGTQ community? Those are people who are deeply lost. And they think the church hates them. I think if Jesus were here today, those would be some of the people he would have been hanging out with. Jesus never compromised the gospel. He never compromised his holiness, but he was never afraid about what people thought either. He was giving his life to those who were lost. It's not the well who need a physician. It's the sick. How many of you have a Muslim in your life? Somebody that maybe you work with. Jesus wants to free your tongue to speak the words of the gospel in love. Society wants to mute you. I want to close by wrapping up and just talking about a little bit. So we've talked about the power of presence, the power of proclamation. We're called to make disciples. In order for us to actually do that, we need to focus. Focus is about not saying what's right, what's wrong, but it's about what's wise, what's best, what am I called to do? You know, I, I could do this, I could do that, but that, a lot of that stuff is distraction. We are called to this. I mean, someone at the end of the first service kind of came up, came up to me and said, you know, it's interesting, these are pretty much the last words we have recorded in Scripture that Jesus speaks to his disciples. I mean, it's right before he is ascended. We all know, kind of like your last words tend to be the ones that are really, really powerful. They're impactful. We want to summarize everything. This is what Jesus gives some of his last words to, that we're supposed to go out and make disciples. That's how important it is to him. That's how important it ought to be to us. But the part here that's important is, so one, it's the making disciples. But we also have to ask the question about where do we give our priority? Now, how many of you, no, no need to answer this question, but just think in your mind, how many churches did you drive past this morning in order to get 
to Upcountry Church. You drove past three if you just pulled into this parking lot. And I have no reason to believe that all three of those aren't God-glorifying churches. I certainly hope they are. But if you gave any distance at all, you drove by others to get here. Am I against that? Absolutely not. I'm thankful for every one of those churches. I'm definitely thankful for this one because this is the one I know in relationship with. But there are places today and people's where Jesus isn't known. If you put that map up on the screen for me, this, this map kind of portrays what I'm talking about. Where the green is, that's where Christians are in mass. And the truth is, most of those places where, the, where it's green, it's because missionaries went. I mean, I was in Ghana, West Africa recently, which is on that little bottom curve part of Africa down there. I was there recently uh, working with a local church movement, and I mean, they are killing it. They planted 6,500 churches in the last five years. I mean, they're doing more than I can even imagine. Tanzania, on the other side of Africa, West, East Africa, the Tanzanian church denomination that I work with there, they've planted over 8,000 churches in the same period of time. They are just, they are killing it. Latin America, you see almost the entire continent is green. The only place, so green is, represents where the church is strong. Yellow, less reached. Some of those places are peoples that have not yet had the gospel or like Europe, they have become post Christian. They have moved away from Christianity. So a hundred years ago, Europe would have been green. Today, it's moving increasingly secular, so it's becoming less reached. Red means unreached. So these are places and peoples where the kingdom is not yet present at all in mass. So in our world today, forgive me, I'm just going to get a little sociologically scientific here for just a moment. So in our world today, there are 14,000 unique ethno-linguistic people groups. That's pretty ethno-ethnic groups. You all get that? Linguistic languages. So there's 14,000 unique ethnic groups that speak a unique language in our world today. Around 8 billion people. Of that... 14,000, 6,800 of them remain unreached. Some of those are in places that are hard to go and hard to live in. I have some of my closest friends or some young missionaries who are planning the church in Basra, Iraq. They were joking this week and said, it's starting to feel like fall here. We had one day where the high was only 106. It's hard to live there physically. It's hard to live there. Then you pile on the, the fact that it's a Shiite Muslim context. That 
whole part of southern Iraq, we know of about 30 believers in the entire southern part of the country. This is the birthplace of Shia Islam. So spiritually it's very hard, physically it's very hard. And then you got places like Doha, Qatar. Anybody in here a soccer fan? Oh, one. Yeah. In 2022, the World Cup is going to be in Doha. It's, it's one of the most wealthy countries in the world. It actually is the wealthiest country in the world. Has a GDP, gross domestic product, per average person of $72,000 per citizen. That's way more than the average country. It's almost twice what America is. Doha is incredibly wealthy. If you go there, I mean, just it's, it's, its wealth is in your face. The only thing that supersedes Qatar's wealth materially is its spiritual poverty. Because we know of four believers in the entire country of Qatar who are Qatari. There are two kinds of places in the mission field today. There are those places that assault you. That's places like Basra, Cairo, you know, cities in places like Ethiopia or Eritrea. Those, those places that are in your face. Jakarta, Indonesia. And then there are places that seduce you. I mean, you go to a place like Doha, they have P.F. Changs. I mean, how lost could any place be that has P.F. Changs? Because we confuse Westernism with Christianity. There's one mall in Doha that has more Starbucks in it than there are Christ followers in the entire nation. It seems like Starbucks might actually have a greater vision for the world than the church. Because we've lost the fact that Jesus also said, not only make disciples, but go and do it where they don't exist. So today, my apostolic poke is to ask you, do you think about the world in the way God thinks about the world? God doesn't think blue and red. He doesn't think in any categories except those who are in his kingdom and those who are not yet in his kingdom. Those who are his children and those who he longs to see adopted. Those are the only two categories that matter to God. Nothing else matters. We make a lot of other things matter. Those are the things that matter to God. When you think of the world, how do you think? When... The news comes on. Does your mind naturally go to the things of the flesh? Or do, when you see something about like what happened recently in Afghanistan, does your mind go to the critique or does your mind go to the creator? Do you ask God, what are you wanting to do through this situation? I don't know about you. I have never cried out to God in desperation in the middle of my, when everything in life was going great. 
But when things weren't going great, man, I am quick to cry out to God. Maybe God is using this because he wants to bring a revival to Afghanistan, a place that has historically been incredibly resistant to the gospel. Now, here's the problem. What if Christ's people were so caught up in tangential issues that they weren't actually listening when God said, I want you to go to Afghanistan and plant the church there. We need to stop seeking encouragement and start being courageous. And I can say that because there is not one thing in me that's not naturally fearful. But I can say that I've lived for 30 years in the middle of the Muslim world by God being my strength every single day. And God wants to call some of you to not just be on mission with him here, but to actually go and do mission somewhere else. For those places and those peoples, for those 6,800 people groups that have yet to hear the gospel, Jesus might be speaking to you. That's why Pastor Rob asked me to come. It's not because I'm a great speaker. It's because I know how to do one thing. I know how to burn for the lost. I know how to burn for those people who have never heard the message of the gospel and who never will unless we become in, we inconvenience ourselves for the inconvenient lost. That we understand that if Jesus can leave his world, heaven, to come here, then we can order our world so that others might know about him. That we can prioritize so that we can give generously. That we can set aside time, like at 10.02, to pray. And then for those of you that God might speak, that you'd be willing to go. Now, some young man asked me this morning after church, and I'm closing with this, I promise. I know that's the biggest lie pastors ever tell, but I'm, I am really closing here. Somebody asked me this morning, they said, how do I know if I'm called to missions? I want to answer that question for you really briefly. First of all, there's always that peace, and I would never, ever take this away. There's the God-said peace. Ultimately, you are responsible for hearing from God. I can't even hear from God for my wife or her for me. I listen to her. She listens to me. But at the core, there's that God-said peace. That's, that's foundational. But above that, then it starts unpacking a little bit more practically. How many of you have ever seen the Fisher-Price toy that you give children, you know, the different color rings that they stack that works on manual dexterity, that sort of thing? Think of it that way. That bottom ring, the big ring, that's God-said. The next ring up is, what are those people who know about me and love me the most, what do they think? You know, if, if I go to so my, you know, somebody that knows me really well and say, I think God's called me to be a missionary, and they look at me and they go, you think Taco Bell is foreign food. You know, I'm probably not called to be a missionary. But if I go to them and say, I feel like God might be calling me to be a missionary, and they look at me and they go, you know, I could actually totally see that. 
That's what Paul was talking about in places like Acts 16 where he said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Then, you know, we, we have to go and we have to raise budgets. We have to go places and, you know, we have to trust God to, to actually provide for our income. And if you can't raise a budget, guess what? You're not called. Then there has to be an open door. So if you say, I feel called to pick a place and you can't get into that country, guess what? <laughs> You're not called there now. All of these things are practical things that build toward that. So the guy, young man said, okay, so what's my next step? I said, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with going on a short-term missions trip. I think they're actually valuable. If the purpose of the missions trip isn't just an activity that you're going to do, but that you actually ask, what would it look like to live here? So the best missions trips like that are, okay, you're doing an activity, maybe you're painting a church or you're doing a whatever, you know. And the problem is we tend to go on missions trips to places where the kingdom's already at because that means there's Christians there to receive us. But I would, you know, try to find a place where maybe the church is either not at or it's, in, it's not in mass. So go to one of those places. Ask what it would look like to live there short term. Then maybe go for a year. Now, Obviously, this is easier when you are younger. I get that. But why would I say go for a year? Because all of us should have a burden for missions, but not all of us have a calling to missions. And nothing will help you understand your calling or your burden quicker than when you don't have a return ticket. Because you can endure almost anything for a week or 10 days. When you're there for a year, at some point in, you realize they're not changing. I have to change. I can only go so far in English. I'm actually going to have to learn this local language. Those things start helping. So it, that two-week trip, then maybe the one-year trip, and then at that point, you understand, and then those who are around you on the field understand whether or not maybe this is a calling. See, here's the problem. We tend to overestimate what we can do in a short amount of time and underestimate what God wants to do with us in a lifetime. God wants to use you folks to make disciples. There's not a person in Traveler's Rest that God doesn't love deeply. And God puts you in their life for their sake. Paul says, I used to view people from the flesh. I no longer do so. That would be one of my biggest prayers for you this morning is that you would stop thinking about people around you and how you're different from them and understand that those two categories, the only two God cares about, are they in the kingdom or not? And if they're not, then what do I have to do to help, make, help them make that transition? And then secondly, that you would understand that just as God brought those people into your life so that you can be a witness to them, there are millions and millions and millions of people in the world today that have nobody to cross the street and establish a kingdom relationship with because they live in places like Doha, Qatar. So this morning I'm going to close in prayer and I'm just going to ask that the Spirit of God would speak to your hearts 
I'm going to ask a dangerous prayer. It's not dangerous for me. It's dangerous for you. I'm going to ask God to actually wreck some of your sleep. I'm going to ask that God will wake some of you up in the middle of the night over the next week to 10 days. And that you will wake up in the middle of the night with his heart for the lost. I have a young friend. Her name is Amarin. She's of Mexican heritage. She was doing a mission trip. She was praying about going overseas. She had a real burden for the Muslim world. She was visiting Tijuana, Mexico, just crossed over the border of Southern California, was sitting in, the, she spoke Spanish fluently. She's in a church in Mexico. They were having a service on a Sunday night. She said, during the service, she, young woman, she said, I felt like I was having a heart attack. I mean, she said, I was really scared, actually. She said, I got up, I left the church, I went and sat outside on the sidewalk. I could barely breathe. She goes, I was scared. And she said, while I was sitting on the sidewalk, I felt like God said to me, she goes, that's the only time I've ever had this happen in my life, but I felt like I heard God say, you have been praying to know my, what I, how I feel for the world. I let you feel it for just a second. I'm praying that God would somehow wreck your sleep enough that you would understand just how much he cares for the world and how much he trusts you.